It's my privilege now to introduce to you Jose Prado. For those that are visiting, we have been praying for, since the inception of our church, that God would raise up leaders, and specifically men with a pastoral calling. And so Jose would be a man that God is raising up in our midst. What that means is he's developing him. We are acknowledging that God has his hand on Jose's life. God has a call to vocational ministry. And so all we're doing is coming alongside Jose and agreeing with what God is doing. Church, you've done that. We're doing that as a leadership team. And so over this next year, he will join our leadership team as a, an intern, a pastoral intern. And so his first assignment, his first assignment, church, this morning is to preach from really, quite frankly, a difficult passage of Scripture. It's a large passage of Scripture. It's an exegetical sermon, which means trying to interpret what the Scripture is saying. It's not topical. It's not Jose bringing his thoughts to the text. It's Jose learning and reading the text and praying over the text and trying to discover what is it saying, reading commentaries, talking with me and, and Corey, and then bringing to you what God's burden is this morning. There's no higher honor than to do that. And there's no greater privilege as one who gets to do that week in and week out to do that. And so I just, I just want to commend to you, Jose Prado. He is a man who God has set apart. And so isn't it cool, church, that we can experience this together? This is a, a memorable moment that together we can welcome him for his first official task, his first official assignment at Palm Vista. So would you please welcome Jose as he comes up here. Uh, home field advantage, right? That's what, that's what Al says. Well, first, first of all, I just wanted to say that um, this man and that man right there, Corey, and that man over there, uh, Lenny Machen, they are the men that God has used to mold me, uh, to bring a lot of things to attention. Uh, and I, I respect these men greatly. I, I love these men. And I thank God for these men. Um, but really, their encouragement of me, their, uh, their counsel to me, would, would be really a little vain if I wouldn't be able to see that counsel and see it in you guys. Because I'm able to see uh, the example of the men in this church. I'm able to see the examples of even the youth of this church. And that example is what shows me that what these men are actually counseling me in and training me and, and loving me, I, I can see that it's for real. So I want to thank you guys. I want to thank you, church, because uh, you guys have loved me. You guys have loved my family. You guys, when I go other places, people might get mad at me because they think I boast about you guys too much, but you guys are wonderful. You guys are 
what God has used in my life to change many areas of my life. So thank you, guys. Thank you. Um, well, this morning, we uh, are going to be looking at Exodus 32, 7 through 11. So turn there with me. And I have titled this message, Understanding the Covenant. The Golden Calf, Understanding the Covenant. So let's go ahead and get into the text and let's, let's go ahead and read the text. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, you guys can read it on the overhead, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore... Let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. Let us pray. Father, Lord, I come to you this morning, Lord, as one who is stiff-necked, sinful, weak. Father, I pray. That for your namesake, for your people, Lord, you will show mercy and you, Lord, will anoint your word and that your spirit, Lord, will move here at Palm Vista and that your word would reach our hearts. Father, anoint your word and anoint the hearers that are going to listen to your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, for those of you who do not know, God has blessed me tremendously. God has given me a beautiful wife. I mean, my wife is beautiful. My wife. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and God has also blessed me with two beautiful kids. Uh, Sebi, who is one and a half, and Isabel, who is three years old. And I love spending time with my kids. I mean, don't you all love spending time with your kids? I mean, that is something that we can definitely all relate to. We love spending time with our kids. And in the Hispanic culture, most of you guys here are Hispanic, but in the Hispanic culture, there's this one thing. I mean, when a kid turns one year old, Okay, we just have to go all out, right? We just have to do this huge party for them. We really want to, you know, bring the house with the party for the one-year-old. And, well, me and my wife, no different. We went ahead and took the task for Isabel's first birthday. And uh, we went ahead and we we rented a place. Uh, We rented games and bounce house. And we bought a lot of food. And we just, we were just spent hours and time just planning this huge party, inviting all the friends. I mean, there must have been like a hundred kids there. Because this church, I mean, we have so many kids. <laughs> so we just 
went all out planning this party for our precious Isabel. And uh, to no surprise, Isabel loved the party. I mean, she was there playing, playing with her friends. She enjoyed the food. She enjoyed just seeing everybody, laughing. She, was, she came home, and our whole living room was just packed with gifts. And she just she came home, and she loved the gifts. She just started ripping them apart. And then she went to bed and fell asleep. Because you see, I think we can all relate to the fact that a one-year-old is completely unaware of all the cost, of all the work, and all the affections that we parents put into the party. You see, to them, all the effort, all the creativity, all the affections are just completely overshadowed by the gifts, by their friends, and by the fun that they're having. (laughs) Well, church, that's the way we are. If we love the promises of God's covenant, yet we ignore the foundation of it. Oh, may we not be like spiritual one-year-olds who only love the benefits of the covenant, but may our hearts yearn to understand the heart of God in the making of his covenant. Brothers and sisters, if we are to delight in God, and that is what God wants us to do, He wants us to delight in Him. If we are to delight in God, may we delight in the creativity of an almighty creator, in the efforts of a just and merciful God, and may we delight in the affections of our great mediator. And I believe that this morning, this is exactly what God wants us to do. He wants us to understand the foundation of His covenant. So through this account in Israel's rebellion over 3,500 years ago, we are able to see the massive foundation of God's covenant. You see, everything has a foundation. And if we want to understand it, if we want to know about it, everything has a foundation. And we must start by that foundation. And God this morning wants us to see the foundation of his covenant. And on the top of your notes, this is the foundation of your covenant. And it's the main point of this sermon. You see, the foundation of God's covenant is in His inexhaustible grace. Let me repeat that to you guys. The foundation of God's covenant is in His inexhaustible grace. So as we look to see that, as we look to God for him to be able to show us this inexhaustible grace in the covenant. Let us, allow me to just set the proper setting for the text this morning. You see, over the past six months, for those of you guys who are uh, just visiting today, over the past six months, we have taken a journey through the book of Exodus. And in our journey through this wonderful book, we have seen, we have seen God hear the cries of Israel after a dark and quiet 400 years of slavery. You can follow this on your notes. We have seen God call Moses, and he delivered his people. We have seen God liberate his people from bondage with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm as he leads them through the wilderness. And after three months of journey, they arrive at Mount Sinai. 
Here God makes a solemn covenant with Israel to confirm and to secure the covenant he had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then God comes down Mount Sinai and he speaks to them from heaven and he promises to Israel that if they obey him and if they keep his covenant, they will be his special possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. What a promise! Oh man, God has blessed them beyond measure. And Israel's response to this covenant is, they stand before God and they say, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. So God has done all these things for them. And they have one thing that they must do. Obey the covenant. And they promise God all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. So then in Exodus 24, 9 and 10, we see Moses, Aaron, his sons, and we see 72 elders go up the mountain and they had a feast with, with God and they saw the glory of God. But in verse 12, the Lord calls Moses further up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone written by God. And Moses goes up the mountain and he remains there for 40 days. And in those 40 days, Moses is just enjoying the blessing of being in the presence of God. And he is enjoying as God is giving him this wonderful plan concerning the consecration of the priest, concerning the building of his tabernacle and the altar. But all of a sudden, everything changes. All of a sudden, the mood changes. All of a sudden, the tone of speech of the Lord seemed to completely change. And that is where we find ourselves right now on the text as God says to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Ah, man, we can't even imagine the thoughts that must have passed through Moses' mind. He must have trembled as God just says, go down for your people have corrupted themselves. What could have the people have done that could be so horrendous, so corrupted, so evil, That the very same people that God had promised his covenant, he is just about, he is ready to just completely consume, not just from the covenant, but he's completely ready to consume from the face of the earth. Let us go to Exodus 32, 1 through 6. And that is where we find the cause of God's holy wrath and the reason why he wanted to consume them. And as Moses was up in the mountain for 40 days, this is what the people were doing on verse 1. It says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, 
the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all of them, all of the people, took off the rings of gold that were in the ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel. Here is God. He is making a covenant with his people. He is preparing, giving instruction to Moses. And this is what the people say. They are saying, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up and played. How can this be? How can this have happened? Were they not present as, the, as they victoriously marched their, themselves out of the land of Egypt? Were they not there when God parted the Red Sea in order so they could cross the Red Sea and dry ground? Were they not there at the bottom of the mountain as God just comes down on Mount Sinai and speaks to them? Did they not hear the covenant that God had given them? These are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt, they cried. What is this blasphemy they are proclaiming? Didn't they say all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do? Well, you see, church, verse 1 and 6 through 6, they play a big role in understanding that the foundation of God's covenant is grace, not merit. You see, this is like when a mighty king chooses a peasant slave girl as his bride. The first thing that comes to our minds is she just must be amazingly beautiful. She must be amazingly beautiful for him to choose her. But when we finally get a glance at her like we just did on verses 1 through 6, we are able to see that this bride is not beautiful. You see, she is a disfigured prostitute with nothing to offer. The only thing she can offer is ungratefulness and unfaithfulness. That is Israel. That is us. Let's take a closer look at what God sees. Let's go to Exodus 32.9. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. It's important for us to understand that this is the reality of who they were. But it's even more important and more relevant to us to understand that this is our reality. You see, because outside of the saving knowledge of Christ Jesus, this is who we are. We are all sinners. 
We are all sinners. Romans 3, 11 and 12 tells us, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. So you see, church, this is God's view of humanity. And it should be our view of ourselves. So how, how does God respond to sin? How does God respond to the sinners, to these people? How does he respond to them? And we see that on Exodus 32.10. As God responds, he says, Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. You see, this is the response of a holy God. If God responded in any other way, he would not be God. This is the response of a holy God who hates sin. You see, Psalm 26, 5 says, I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. God hates sin. And God hates evil doers. So what does God do? How does he respond? Well, from your nose, God declares his righteous judgment on the people and their sin. How we've seen, you see, God must punish sinners. Brothers and sisters, don't be under the wrong impression that God ignores sin. God does not ignore sin. God is in heaven right now, storing up righteous wrath that in due time, He will pour out on the wicked. God is righteous and holy so God declares his righteous judgment on the people and their sin. But guys, come on, how can we miss it here? But once again, in the same declaration of God, we see the foundation of God's covenant. And even though his holiness demands judgment, his grace leaves a door open for intercession. You see, because he tells Moses... Now, therefore, let me alone. You see, we might think that he was telling Moses, get out of here. But really what God was telling Moses is, intercede. He was leaving a, a door wide open for, for Moses' intercession for the people. Because think about it. Could Moses really stop God from pouring out his judgment? No. To say that Moses could stop God from pouring out his judgment would be the same thing as saying that Jose Sanchez, my bodyguard over there, <laughs> to say that 
Jordan Gray could stop Jose Sanchez from pouring out his wrath on Al. Now, for those of you guys that don't know Jordan, you know, he's about my height, small guy. So to say that Jordan Gray could stop Jose Sanchez from pouring out his wrath on Al is just as ridiculous as to say that Moses could stop God from pouring out his wrath on the people. But God, by his grace, by his covenantal grace, he leaves a door wide open that Moses could just walk in and intercede for the people. And I want us to think about this because this is where the foundation of that covenant is. You see, God in his righteousness declares righteous judgment on the people, but God in his grace provides a mediator. God provides a mediator. God could have easily shut the door on Moses. Slam shut. But God allows Moses to persuade him. God says to Moses, I mean, I'm sorry. Moses says to God, Lord, remember your covenant. Lord, remember your covenant. Let's look at the mediation of God through his mediator, Moses. Let's read Exodus 32, verses 11 through 14. It says, But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand. We should be, we, we should, the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember, here it is, guys. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offsprings as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken to bring on his people. You see, there's a huge contrast between the people who did not believe God. That's the reason why they had broken the covenant. And Moses, who believed God and believed in God's promises. You see, Moses held on tight to God's promises. And we can see the promise that God made to Moses. We can see that in Exodus 6, 2 through 8. It says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. 
the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slave, and I have remembered my covenant. It is about my covenant. I establish my covenant. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out of the, from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And you see, Moses remembered that. And we see the contrast. We see the difference between Moses' trust in God and the people's trust. And we also see the difference of the man who God had called. Remember when he called him? You guys remember when, when God asked, told Moses that he would deliver the people? All that Moses could do is give God excuses. But God had called Moses and God had prepared Moses for this very day that he could intercede for the people of God. That is the God we serve. That is our God, a covenantal God whose grace abounds. So Moses, Moses reminds God that he's the one that delivered the people. They are your people. Moses also t- reminds God, for your name's sake, Lord, we, we don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. The Egyptians are going to talk. They're going to say that, that you just wanted to destroy them. But you see, those things are good. Because he reminded that, he, he, he reasoned with God. And there were good reasons to bring to God. But the best thing was, he reasoned with God, with God's promise to their fathers. And that very same covenantal grace with which God established his covenant with Abraham, and which now we enjoy in Christ is the foundation of Moses' appeal to God. Moses was saying to the Lord, Lord, remember your covenant. And the Lord relented. The Lord relented. So then Moses comes down the mountain with the tablets of the covenant, and he shatters the tablets of stone which represent God's covenant. The people had shattered it. And he destroys their idols. And in verse 26, we read, as Moses stands in the gate of the camp and he says, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. Brothers and sisters, the grace of God demands a response. The grace of God demands a response. God calls men to repentance. Acts 17.30 tells us the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So if we look to apply this message to our lives, may we hear the voice that cries out, 
who is on the Lord's side, come to me. My friends, if you hear that voice this morning, I want to encourage you. And I want to encourage you with a final thought. You see, God relented of the destruction of the people. And Moses gives us a type of God, of the reason why God relented. Read with me Exodus 32.30. And I hope this encourages you this morning. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, he stops. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. You see, Moses is prepared to exchange his life He is prepared to exchange his life for the forgiveness of the people. But you see, God rejects that plea. God rejects the plea of Moses for full forgiveness. How is that encouraging? You may ask yourself right now, Jose, How does that encourage me? How can that be encouraging to me? I stand before a holy God. And I stand before Him as one condemned under God's declaration of judgment. So how can this be encouraging to me? How can the fact that He said no to Moses for full forgiveness, for atonement, how can that be of encouragement to me. Well, you see, you can be encouraged because God knew that Moses could not atone for the sin of his people. But in his covenantal grace, which is the foundation of his covenant, God had already provided a much superior mediator. God had provided one that could not that that would be able to satisfy God's holy wrath. Yet at the same time, he would be able to provide for the forgiveness of sin. Moses could not do that. So I want to encourage you because I want to let you know that nothing in the mediation of Moses can match our greater intercessor, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God in Christ has done what no other could. Brothers and sisters, he not only prayed and willingly offered himself to die for us, but he actually did die for us. His name was not only blotted out from the book of the living, he died 
that we might live. He went up not to Mount Sinai, to God saying, perhaps I may make atonement for the guilty. But he went up to Mount Calvary and he made atonement by his blood. And he ascended into heaven. And that same Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God, the Father. And at this very moment, God is hearing his son as he intercedes for transgressors like you and like me. So this being the case, nothing should prevent any sinner, no matter how large your sin may, be, may seem. Does your sin look to you as great as the sin of Israel? And if it does, run to Christ. For he is a much superior mediator than Moses. He is the reality that Moses wanted to show. That God wanted to show actually through Moses. He is our mediator. So be encouraged. I want to conclude with prayer. But as we said before. God's grace demands a response. God's grace demands a response. So, maybe to you this morning, this very truth leads you to respond in worship, and we are going to worship this morning, leads you to respond in just worship an adoration of your God and His grace that He showed us through His covenant. But maybe, just maybe, you feel that there's a response that you need to bring to the Lord. So let me pray for us. We are going to sing a song. It's called Covenant of Grace. We are going to worship the Lord. And then we might have a time of prayer. So let me pray for us. Father, Lord, uh, we thank you, Lord, for your covenant. We thank you, Lord, because you are the one that created us, but you are also the one, Lord, who took the initiative to bring a covenant to us, Lord. Father, we bring nothing to the table. All we bring to the table is our sin. For even if we cry out to you, we will do all the words that you command us 